Hello, and welcome to another episode of Envisioneering Exchange, the podcast where industry leaders discuss the most important topics in sustainability, climate change, buildings, and urban efficiency. I'm Vic Marinich, Global Marketing Director at Danfoss, and I'm delighted to be the host of this podcast. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we have Cliff Stokes from Danfoss on the show to talk about the potential of hydrogen and its role in building a more sustainable future. Cliff is a business development manager at Danfoss Drives, focusing on electrification solutions. Cliff, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Maybe let's start a bit with your background and what got you uh, involved and excited about uh, hydrogen. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> it's been a run for sure. You know, I've been with Danfoss for about 10 years. Uh, originally focusing on energy efficiency, anything that uh, uh, has an electric motor, I sold drives in a regional territory. But in uh, late 2009, I took a position with Danfoss Editron, really focusing on electric vehicles and electrification related to uh, mobility. I was the global sales manager for Danfoss Editron covering the globe, and I really got a chance to dive into uh, multiple different applications where vehicles were being electrified to reduce carbon emissions. It was an incredible experience, and I took a position later back with Danfoss Drives to support all of electrification in North America. Interesting that the topics of hydrogen stuff go back now to 2009, right? So it's uh, trendy now to talk about, but but a technology that's been around for some time, right? For sure. And for sure, hydrogen, super interesting topic right now. For me, it's amazing. It's one of those topics where you've got a lot of really smart people with a lot of different opinions. It seems like anyway, the industry hasn't really come to a consensus. So that makes this kind of an interesting time to see how things are going to eventually settle, right? I mean, some people see this as a pipe dream and yeah, nothing's ever going to happen. Others see it as the solution to all our problems. Uh, I guess the reality is somewhere in between. So how do you see it going forward with hydrogen? So in the past, there were some efficiency issues and that's probably what built some of the skepticism. But recently there's been some advances in electrification, especially around the electrolyzer that has, uh, I think, really made the outlook for electrification related to hydrogen much better than in the past. Yeah, very interesting. So we want to talk today about the future of hydrogen and where we see things going. Maybe the first question is, how does hydrogen work? Are we talking about this? Is it an energy source? Is it a form of energy storage? What are the applications today? How do we see things moving forward? Yep. Super important to know the difference. I mean, it takes energy. And I've heard a lot of skepticism around, doesn't it take the grid to make hydrogen? And, and that's absolutely true. It does take energy to make hydrogen. And so therefore, it's a storage device. Because we're transferring energy into hydrogen and storing it for periods of time, it's not an energy source. It's a storage device. That said, going a little bit further, it really opens up some of the other renewable energies like wind and solar. One of the holdbacks or setbacks from those industries is that you can't transport that energy for very far due to conductor size, due to mobility, just it's very difficult. Well, if we're creating green hydrogen from some of these renewable sources, it allows us to then transport them. And so that's a big benefit of hydrogen. So you talk about electrolysis, but I guess there's a lot of different ways we get hydrogen, right? If I remember, I just looked up, I think hydrogen is probably the most common element in the universe, but in our atmosphere, it's 0.00006%. So it's not like we're just pulling it out of the air and, and that we're able to use it like we could say <laughs> nitrogen, right? Yep. There's a lot of different ways that we get hydrogen today. What are the most 
common and uh, maybe the most problematic? And, and how do you see the shift coming? There is a shift, and there's lots of ways to get hydrogen right now. It's number one on the periodic table. But when you start to look at the ways we create hydrogen, most of those ways are dependent on the grid today. And so those, everything that supports the grid, you think about some of the fossil fuels that are supporting our electrical grid, those are all major sources of hydrogen and the primary source. That said, as we grow and expand and we start to use electrolyzers and things like that, the greener it gets. So from the dirtiest possible burning coal to any kind of, let's say, natural gas moving towards electrolyzers, which could be created from wind or solar. Mm -hmm. So hydrogen is being produced today. What are the most common uses of hydrogen today? I guess it's not so much for energy storage, but for other applications, right? Yeah, there's lots of current applications for hydrogen. I talk a lot about railways, transportation, anything in the marine industry. There's lots of different focuses for hydrogen. It's increasing all the time, tons of applications, but a lot of them come from dirty sources. We have a customer in Louisiana, for example, Maritime Partners. They've just made the first methanol to a hydrogen tugboat. It's a 1.4 megawatts across 10 PIM electrolyzers. And right now, because that methane needs carbon to be created, it's not a green hydrogen source. But because that hydrogen demand is building, as we start to transition into green hydrogen, they'll be able to utilize that same hydrogen aboard their ships. Now, currently, they're converting methanol. It's a safer way to transport hydrogen. They can use the existing diesel fuel tanks. Because that methane is, has carbon in there, they're actually recapturing the carbon and they're able to sell that back to methanol manufacturers. So I think that enters into the blue, <laughs> the blue hydrogen. There's so many colors, but it enters <laughs> into the blue hydrogen phase, but really they're recapturing that carbon and they're reutilizing that in the form of methanol and they're able to uh, power their tugboat in the U.S. waterways. So you mentioned, right, there's a lot of different ways that, that we can make hydrogen. And one you mentioned, maybe not directly, but right, we're talking basically about also splitting water molecules, right? And so we're, we're taking the H and the uh, O out, right? The hydrogen and, and the oxygen. And you were talking about the electrolyzers, right? And I think that's uh, really a critical part in the efficiency of the system overall. So can you maybe talk a bit more about this process? What's the role of the electrolyzers in the process? And maybe start even with what is uh, an electrolyzer and, and what do we need it for? Yeah, the electrolyzer simply is splitting the water, it's splitting the atoms. Since hydrogen, it turns it into a gaseous form. I've seen a couple of videos online where uh, you can make your own electrolyzer at home using water bottles and popsicle sticks. It's really simple. Basically, you have water, you have some kind of uh, like a salt additive, um, an electrolyte that uh, you run electricity through and basically uh, pumps that gas up and through that process and it comes out as a flammable gas in the form of hydrogen. Yeah, and, and something you do at home, I don't know that I want my kids making flammable gases in my house, but uh, <laughs> um, for, for sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, uh, yeah, perfectly safe. Um, okay, so now we're making hydrogen and then the question comes, where does the energy come from that we need to make that hydrogen? And if we're burning coal to do it, then maybe we don't have such a green process. So you touched on it a bit just before about the use of renewable energy and maybe using uh, hydrogen as a store for that energy. Can you talk a bit more in detail about the potential for hydrogen in doing that in terms of energy efficiency, decarbonization, and really how we can use hydrogen combined with renewable energy sources to help decarbonize the electricity? 
Absolutely. So really fascinating application is a hydrogen salt cavern. We've had thousands of salt caverns across the globe. Typically, they, they store natural gas or they store some kind of gases feature, but some of them store water, some of them store all sorts of stuff. But when you think about a hydrogen salt cavern, it really opens up to huge high pressure storage ability of hydrogen. The process of creating a salt cavern is simply injecting water into a, a salt deposit underground. You dissolve that salt water away, you pump out that brine, that brine water in the process, uh, it's called leaching. And you're basically creating a very stable underground storage tank. As you pump more and more hydrogen into that and you pressurize that, it really opens up to the use of that energy for high energy sources. For example, it's going to run cities. It's going to run mobility. It's going to do all sorts of things. They're going to source that high concentrate of hydrogen. There's a few more issues with transport. The cost is high. You have to pressurize it. There's a lot of issues surrounding getting it from point A to point B right now. So when you think about salt caverns, those are going to be located in hydrogen hubs, places where, let's say, green steel is produced. Green steel currently, you know, we can increase solar and wind, and those are great the way they are, but you can't get steel hot enough to melt. And that's the big holdback. You have to use fossil fuels today to get that steel to melt. Being able to use hydrogen as a suitable alternative suddenly creates green steel. And so where you have these salt caverns located in these, let's say, uh, Louisiana, Texas, Michigan, that's another one, big one where there's abundant water to use. We can make these salt caverns, we can produce large amounts of hydrogen, and we can really change our steel industry around and, and create green steel instead of burning fossil fuels. And I think the upside with renewables, right, is then we're running the renewables 24-7, whether the market needs that electricity or not. There's the infamous duck curve on renewables and usage. And so then that hydrogen almost becomes the storage for the peak demand. When the wind's blowing more than you need it to and the sun is shining more than you need it to, right, then we're putting it in hydrogen, I guess, right? Right. And we can store it in whatever these caverns and so on. But then so interesting because so you're talking also about using hydrogen in combustion, right? I mean, to make steel. So it's not just about generating electricity. It's about using it as combustion to get those super high temperatures. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it gives maybe some uh, flexibility to hydrogen because combustion is one thing. But then if we start looking right around some of the different applications, the more popular ones, I imagine, with the tugboat and others, it's about going from electricity, storing it, that energy in the form of hydrogen, and right, and then reconverting it back to electricity. Is that right? Right, right. And that's really where we step in. Being a power conversion company, we're focused on power conversion. We connect directly to your electrolyzer and, and then can turn that back to a usable voltage. Or again, you can burn it as combustible gas. There's also fuel cells. That's another big popular usage for hydrogen. Your hydrogen fuel cell, it's basically a combustible device that can run a vehicle. You see that in some of the vehicles that they're producing for on-road transportation. Mm -hmm. Right. The fuel cell, though, is generating the electricity, right, as opposed to, I guess you could do combustion hydrogen engine, but the fuel cell is generating electricity to make an electric motor, right? Correct. And then instead of charging a battery or topping it off with uh, gas or diesel, you're topping it off, if you will, with hydrogen, right? For the storage. You're spot on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes a uh, good sense. A uh, very flexible uh, energy storage uh, tool. Yeah. 
So for all its promise, and you said, right, you were talking back in uh, 2009 about a lot of these technologies, right, 14 years ago, hydrogen has maybe been a bit slow to take off. So what do you think is accounting for that slow growth right now? It's primarily efficiency. That's the big key. I mean, and really the greenest energy is the energy we save, the energy we don't use. And so when you think about hydrogen, I think it's important to remember that it's got to be reasonable and we got to stay efficient. If we're burning coal to make hydrogen, we're probably just spinning our wheels, right? But at the same time, if we have a combustible engine running 24-7 all day long, and at night, it's not doing any work. It's just creating CO2. And why not capture that energy or recapture that CO2? And why not recapture that energy, make hydrogen, and use it during peak demand times? That's a big benefit of electrolyzers. There's, there's a process of power sharing. Throughout the life of an electrolyzer, it fluctuates on the energy it creates. And typically, you build an electrolyzer to meet your peak demand, but you don't need that peak every day all day. And so it's important to be able to share that extra energy with, the, let's say, the power grid, which make it a lot more stable. It makes it a lot less expensive during peak times. We're able to share that energy for other processes that are a little bit more energy intense. And uh, electrolyzers um, really benefit our day-to-day -day grid, and it's going to stabilize and make it a lot more sustainable in the future. You talk about benefiting the grid, but I think you know, as you talk, making clean hydrogen takes a lot of electricity, right? And so one of those barriers is a lack of infrastructure. And that's probably both on the grid, the electric grid side, and then maybe also on the hydrogen, um, let's call it distribution side, right? So what kind of infrastructure changes do you see uh, needed if we want to increase the uptake of hydrogen? I've heard a lot about pipelines, and currently we have uh, natural gas pipelines, and, and they're just not suited for hydrogen. You know, hydrogen, it escapes. It is a little bit more uh, volatile. It's going to take a little bit of extra work, but I foresee us building pipelines all across the U.S. We're going to transport this that way, probably the least cost. There are several people working on transportation companies, trucks, but I think the smartest thing we can do is create these hydrogen hubs find industrial areas where we can support them with, let's say, those salt caverns, for example. If we can localize hydrogen, uh, I think that's going to really decrease the cost and make it a lot more feasible for use as an industrial process. So you kind of get rid of the, the need for infrastructure if, if everything you're doing is local, right? Exactly. There's other countries that are going to need help as well. They're going to want hydrogen. There's huge steel industries in, in, in other countries, so they're going to want that. There's ways that we can transport it a little bit safer. I mentioned uh, maritime partners and the methanol strategy, but there's ammonia that's made from green hydrogen. We can transport that across the world and, and actually uh, and share that energy via ammonia. Mm. And that's actually, if I understand right, a big application today, right, is generating ammonia for fertilizers and so on, right? So it, it's something we know how to do today, right, with hydrogen. Yeah, it's a really cool process if you think about it. Being able to use someone else's byproduct as your raw material, that's fascinating to me. You know, think about some of the changes that we're going to make here over the next 50 years. Being able to uh, take someone's methanol, a byproduct of burning uh, fossil fuels, and then being able to create something like methanol and use that in a hydrogen application, recapture that CO2, sell it back to the oil and gas company, and then do it all over again. It's just really fascinating to me. That's You think about green steel, you think about some of these major applications that are currently dependent on fossil fuels, being able to take someone else's 
byproduct, turn it into your raw material and make green energy with it is definitely why I do my job. Yeah. Fascinating that you can, like you said, uh, take that extra step and really green the process as much as we can. So in the U.S., there's been a lot of investments lately in energy efficiency, energy storage, infrastructure, right, all through the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Do you see an increased opportunity in hydrogen specifically coming out of uh, the Inflation Reduction Act or the AIM Act? Is there any kind of incentives there to help push this along? Yeah, yeah. And you see a lot of these major companies, you know, pushing large projects. Talk about the Hoover Dam. Hoover Dam supports like five cities across southwestern uh, United States. That thing only produces like 1.7, I don't know the exact number, but it's under two megawatts of energy per year. But you've recently heard these large companies announcing gigawatt facilities, 200, 400 megawatt facilities. We're talking four or five Hoover Dams in the space of all relying on something like a salt cavern. Wow. I hadn't heard it put that way with a Hoover Dam uh, capacity-wise. That's super interesting. Uh, and that's a lot of energy we have potential for. Are there other things needed at whatever the federal, state, or local levels to make sure we get the growth in the hydrogen industry that we need? Yeah. I mean, you've seen it way too far in, you know, in history where the money isn't utilized to actually directly support the application. I think it's important for legislators to create requirements for these companies to prove that they're using this funds to create a greener, more sustainable future. Mm -hmm. Last question is, is there something I forgot to ask you or something else you want to make sure we cover here before we close out? Um, yeah. I mean, I would like to talk a little bit more about the Hydrogen One. That is the world's first methanol to hydrogen tugboat. Mm -hmm. I mentioned 1.4 megawatts across 10 fuel cells. That is a flagship project that Maritime Partners has hundreds of boats in the fleet. When you think about the marine industry in general, simply using the combustible methane alternatives to uh, diesel fuel. Yeah, hydrogen's awesome. And if you have that technology and can use fuel cells, fantastic. But even if we just simply added methanol and used methanol as a combustible fuel source, that would reduce. You think about transportation, and this is also very debatable, but they say that transportation is second in the CO2 uh, creation in the world. Well, you think Marine is number three under transportation. So you think about all these marine vessels that are shipping products all across the world. If we simply use an alternative fuel other than diesel, we could make that more sustainable. Obviously, the end game has to be hydrogen. It's fantastic. It's nine times more combustible than methanol. But the idea is to move in that direction. I think as over time, as we focus on efficiency, realizing that the greenest energy is the energy we don't use, the energy we save, we're going to meet that growing demand, which is huge here in the next 50 years. Mm -hmm. And as you said, transportation for sure is such a huge opportunity. Anything we can do to green that industry, I think will uh, serve us well. So that's it for this episode of Envisioneering Exchange. Uh, I'd like to thank my guest Cliff Stokes of Danfoss of Power Electronics and Drives for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to Envisioneering Exchange on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and share it with your network. Thanks for listening and talk to you all next time.
This podcast is for information purposes only. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Envisioneering Exchange podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and not necessarily represent those of Danfoss LLC and its employees. Danfoss LLC is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. This podcast series does not constitute professional advice or services. This podcast, including Danfoss LLC and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and Danfoss LLC in this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about the guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Envisioneering Exchange podcast site assume no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website, computer, or playing device.